0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. If you would, I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, Matthew 15. And uh, I would say pick up where we left off this morning, but actually we're going to dive back into part of it. Um, So pick up something that we left off instead of where we left off. Matthew 15. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful. For your grace. And Lord, we pray um, that we would not be guilty of uh, taking your grace for granted. But Lord, um, rich in thanksgiving to you, Father, for your steadfast love, your mercy, your long-suffering with us, your grace poured out abundantly to us, your love shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, your your love poured out on us. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for the cross of Christ. For salvation revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Provided for us. Lord, thank You for Your Holy Spirit drawing us to Yourself. Making You known to us empowering us, gracing us to live the Christian life, to love and to pursue righteousness and holiness. Lord, we're thankful for all of Your mighty works. Enable us, Lord, tonight as we read and consider this passage, Lord, to grasp, to understand, and again, may it cause us to be in awe of You, Your majesty, Your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to go back um, to part of the passage that we looked at this morning. This morning we read uh, Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. And I mentioned then that we were going to kind of uh, skip over verses 12 through 14. So I want to I want to come back to that tonight. And it's not not because it's disconnected or anything, but um, I, I just wanted to kind of take it by itself, this this little portion, um, because of something uh, that Jesus says here. Um, but there certainly is continuity. It 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 almost looks as though you, you're you're on one subject and you go to another and then you come back to the other. Um, we have verses 1 through 9 where Jesus is confronted because His disciples are not are not keeping the tradition of the elders. And then what we talked about this morning, uh, in part of Jesus' response to that, He says uh, in verse 10, hear and understand, and, and He gives this explanation about true defilement, verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles the man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And then uh, in verse 12, it's almost like this subject changes here. It does a little bit to some extent, but it's not unrelated. But the, the disciples say to him, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended? And he deals with that question. And then in verse 15, Peter asks Him to explain the parable, and Jesus goes back to an explanation about defilement, explaining what He said in verse 11. And so again, it's almost like the subject shifts here, but it's not unrelated, and I'll try to point that out. But I want to come back to verse 12, and the question about the offense of the Pharisees. Verse 12, Then His disciples came and said to Him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But He answered and said, Every plant which My heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind both will fall into a ditch. Now, I I was looking at this a few days ago and in fact I had put a post on Facebook just saying and I've thought this for years and I, you may have heard me say this before but um th- these are terrifying words in this little short passage. Specifically, the first part of verse it, well, it's it's all sobering but this little this little um Phrase, might even call it a command of Jesus to his disciples, verse 14. His response, when he's told that the Pharisees are offended, first he says in verse 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. And then he says in verse 14, and this is what I was referring to as terrifying words from the Lord, Let them alone. They said, Don't you know that you've offended? The Pharisees are, you know that you've offended the Pharisees, and Jesus, in response to that, says, leave them alone. Now, those are terrifying words. And uh, the little post that I had put on Facebook, I said something like this. What, What it is, is a pronouncement of judgment. Severe judgment. And it's ironic that What the lost world wants often is to be left alone. And it's ironic that the very judgment that comes upon them is what they want, to be left alone. A lot of times in our world, in our culture, in our society, people talk about being free uh, in in a... Irresponsible, unreasonable sense, really. I mean, they, they just want to be free to do whatever they desire to do. And we're almost, I mean, we're not far from seeing that happen in our day. We're not there, and I'm thankful that we're not there, but it's, it's almost like it was in the times of the judges. Or at least that's what a lot of people seem to desire. Repeatedly in the book of Judges, you 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 read through the book of Judges, and repeatedly we're told every man did what was right in his own eyes. So there was this sort of moral relativism, similar to what we have today, and we almost think it's unique to our time. And this is called the the postmodern age. You know, modernism was. Um, like around the turn of the 20th century, late 1800s, latter, yeah, I say latter part of the 1800s and into the 1900s. That's, that's the modern times, um, philosophically referred to as uh, an age of modernism. And the idea is there that everything can be answered by science. And we can, we can get to whatever the truth is, we can figure it out with human reason. And with uh, applying science, well, that has failed. I mean, man hasn't been able to figure everything out that they thought they could figure out. And figured out a lot of things um, by God's grace. God has allowed us to to uh, to observe a lot of things, to, to come to a lot of you know real conclusions, make a lot of uh, of uh, of discoveries, helpful discoveries. Diseases have been cured. We put man on the moon. Um, I'm sure that's worth something <laughs> no and, and, and i I was thinking about getting a list sometimes I've seen this before but but I don't have it with me um but just a list of discoveries that were made uh in the efforts to put man on the moon so so if 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 for no other reason you know a lot of inventions came out of it and discoveries um i heard um and you know but as far as the thing itself, I'm not sure. You know, I heard Lester Roloff say one time, and this was from way back, so uh, the moonwalk was fresh, you know, recent history when Lester Roloff was around preaching. He's dead and gone now. But I heard him say one time, I'm not against putting somebody on the moon if there's lost people up there that we need to reach, you know. (laughs) But other than that, he thought it was a waste of money. Uh, But other discoveries were made. But they haven't been, under, been able, rather, to answer the most basic questions. Like, why we're we here? You know, they have, just, just using human reason and scientific study, they haven't been able to answer that. Why are we here? What, what is our purpose? But modernism thought that those questions could be answered um, through human reason. And scientific endeavor, but we moved from that to what is now called the postmodern age, where uh, everything is relative. So, so now it's not just it's not the idea we can get at the truth, we can figure it out through reason and science. Now it's there is no absolute truth. There's nothing to figure out. Uh, you, You just kind of decide. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Everybody becomes the ultimate judge. And so there's no absolute truth. You Christians, you know, you you live the Christian life, what you call the Christian life, do your thing. Over there, the Hindus do their thing. Over in another place, the Muslims do their thing. And then the atheists do their thing. And everybody is okay. Truth is just relative. Everybody has their own truth, their own way to live. Everybody does what they consider to be right. That's kind of where, where we are today. And the Lord has allowed that. Now, a lot of people think that is great freedom. Freedom. You know, the fact that we've come to this point, the fact that we can acknowledge today what we call alternative lifestyles, for example. You know, we've grown up. Things that we used to label wrong, we, just, we now realize it's just an alternate way of living. And the Lord has allowed that. Now, what I'm suggesting is that that great, you know, quote, freedom that people want so badly, I think, is really a form of judgment from the Lord. Peter comes in... in, uh, or the disciples rather, come in verse 12 and say to Jesus, you know, here, here Jesus has just kind of set the record straight, not kind of, I mean, He has, concerning um, their accusations and concerning defilement. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. You know, they're complaining because the disciples are not washing their hands. They're eating with unclean. They are unclean because they haven't washed their hands. They're eating with, eating with unclean hands. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't defile you. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of the mouth. Because the corruption is in the heart. What we talked about this morning. So Jesus has just set the record straight. But see, in doing that, He just blew apart the whole Pharisaic system. That's where all the emphasis is with Him. It's, it's all on the on the outside, you know, the washing of cups and platters and ceremonial washing of hands and all of these things. In fact, I think it's Mark that says they, they did all these things and many more things like this they did. And Jesus just basically said, you're, you're doing all that in vain because the problem is on the inside of you. And that's what defiles you, your heart, your attitude, your rebellion against God. And so the disciples say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I mean, he just, he just gave a death blow to their whole religious system. <laughs> yes, they're offended. They're, the word means scandalized or, or stumbled. They, they stumbled over what you just said, the truth that you just related, caused them to stumble. They're scandalized by it. Offended. Now, as I suggested a while ago, there's, there's continuity in every, everything we've been talking about here. This is, this is a living example of what Jesus is talking about in verse 11. And what Jesus is talking about in verse 18 and 19 and 20. The sin's on the inside of us, not on the outside of us. And what is the essence of sin? I mean, when you just get down to to the root of it, the heart of it, I would say it's this. It is rebellion against God and therefore against truth. Because God is truth. defines truth. Rebellion against what is truly good. God is good, or as Calvin said, He's not just good; He is goodness. He defines it, and at the heart of sin is is that that pride element of pride that rebels against the Creator, the Creator who's worthy of our praise. And the One to whom we should be submitting and rejoicing in His truth. Instead, we rebel. And now we're seeing this lived out. We're seeing it happen. Jesus sets the record straight about sin and defilement. And do the Pharisees rejoice in that? Do they say, wow, that is awesome. We've had it wrong. And this is good. This is good stuff. I mean, Jesus is telling the truth. I mean, do they embrace that and rejoice in it? Are they embracing Him and rejoicing in Him? No. They're offended by Him. That's rebellion. Because of the corrupt nature of their heart. So Jesus says this in verse 13. And here's where we're getting to. The judgment for their rebellion, he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up now he's he's making a distinction here, which he does so often uh, you know a contrast between the uh, unbelievers and believers, the ungodly and the godly, those who receive truth, those who Reject truth. Those who embrace it, love it, embrace Him, love Him. And those who stumble over, what him, over him. Those to whom um, He is a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. So He basically says to the disciples, this is what to expect. You know they're offended at what you said. And it's almost like Jesus saying, of course. Because every plant, and he uses a little parable analogy, every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant is going to be rooted up. It's a statement about the sovereign hand of God at work. The sovereignty of God. And I know, um, when you think about the statement in verse 13 and verse 14, it's, it's heavy, and I, I think it should be, like I said, to me, terrifying words. But at the same time, they're full of the majesty of God. I mean, that we, we we're exposed here to God's greatness, His sovereignty. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. You remember the words of John the Baptist when Jews came out, uh, many of the, of the uh, Jews came out to be baptized. And to some of them, um, he said, Who warned you? you know, what are you doing here? The axe is laid to the root, John said. It's similar language. Kind of like saying you're about to be rooted up. And he tells them, don't trust in the fact that you have Abraham as your ancestor. God is able to raise up seed to Abraham from these stones. Because he knew they weren't loving God. They weren't submitted to the will of God. And He, like Jesus, called them vipers. And warned them. The axe is already laid to the root. Every, every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Remember the, the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares. In that analogy, you, you have the Son of Man planting And then what happens while he's asleep? The enemy comes and plants bad seed, the tares. And when he's informed, when his servants figure it out and he's informed, he says, an enemy has done this. I didn't plant them. An enemy did. They belong to the enemy. Every plant that my father has not planted, there's a distinction between those he's planted and those he has not planted, it's the same distinction. Except Jesus says it uh, not in not in the form of an, an analogy in John eight. He doesn't there. He he just says it plainly, not in the form of an analogy. They claim to be the children of Abraham, and Jesus says, "You're not the children of Abraham. You're of your father, the devil, and you do the works of your father." These are people that put on a pretense of love for the truth, but in reality they they hate the truth. And that's regardless of all of their religious expression. The fact that they hate the truth is obvious because they hate Jesus. They condemn Him. They persecute Him. And so he's not surprised when he... Speaks truth and they're offended. And He tells the disciples, every plant which My Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Now there it is. That's a a sobering decree from the Lord of glory. Leave them alone. A form of, I think, the severest kind of judgment. After all, what what is spiritual death? It's separation from God. And ultimately, it, it is separation from God eternally. That's what it means to perish eternally. And Jesus says, leave them... Alone. Leave them to themselves. Leave them alone. Let me give you another example of this kind of judgment that I think just kind of bear out what I'm suggesting here. From Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1.18, Paul writes to the church at Rome, says, For the wrath of God, keep that phrase in mind, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now notice the tense of that first phrase. The wrath of God is revealed. He doesn't say that it will be. Now, it's true that it will be. There's a day coming when every, every, every person, every single individual will stand before the judgment seat and will be judged, we're told, according to our works. That day is coming. There's a picture of it, Not, not in a, uh, again, not in an analogy, but Jesus spelling it out in Matthew 25 and saying this is basically what it's going to look like. He does use an analogy of sheep and goats representing the, uh, the saved and the lost. There's a day coming. Judgment. Paul says in Acts 17 at Mars Hill, God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world by this man whom He's appointed, Jesus Christ. The judgment is coming. And we know what happens after the judgment. The righteous enter into eternal life in the presence of the Lord and the wicked are taken away cast into lake of fire where Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we're told in Revelation that the the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and ever. So the wrath of God will be revealed in the future. But, <clears throat> it's also already being revealed. And that's what Paul is saying, I think, here in Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he goes on to give an uh, explanation of, their, of you know, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That is, those who suppress the truth are without excuse. Because, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. That's Rebellion. They knew God, but they didn't glorify Him as God. Again, the essence of sin. Pride manifest in rebellion against our Creator, God. And they didn't glorify Him, nor were thankful. Grievous sin. Sometimes we don't, we don't think about uh, the seriousness of unthankfulness. But, what happened? They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they rejected the true God and they pursue idols. They, they are involved in idolatry. So for this, the wrath of God is revealed, Paul says. Now, how, how is it revealed? How does it manifest? verse 24, therefore right? that's, that's the connection word he's saying, because of all these things, therefore God also gave them up. Now Paul uses that phrase three times here in the rest of this chapter. God gave them up. left them alone. First verse 24. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up. There it is again. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. That is, what they desired to do, God gave them over to. Verse 24, gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. The phrase in the Greek is actually the same here, the same exact wording. He gave them up or over as it's translated here. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. He left them alone. He he gave them up to vile passions. He gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. In other words, he, He let them do what they want to do, and that is a form of judgment. And so the Pharisees rebel against God. They rebel against God incarnate. He's, he's standing in front of them, talking to them, giving them truth. And they rebel. And so Jesus is saying, Leave them alone. That's what they want to do. They want to rebel. Leave them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. They're blind leaders of the blind. Why, why did the people, why did Jesus' own disciples have this misunderstanding about sin and defilement? Well, because that's what they're taught by the Pharisees. Pharisees were blind Blind leaders. So you've got a wrong view of sin and righteousness in the the Pharisees, and, and then they're teaching that to the people, and so the people have a wrong view. And that's what Jesus is setting straight here. Although many of the people will ultimately reject him, too. They're, they're blind. That is, the Pharisees are blind leaders of the blind. And what, what is the end result? If the blind leads the blind, both fall into the ditch. They'll be destroyed. That's, that's the judgment. Let them do what they want to do. The end of it is destruction there's a way that seemeth right to a man At the end thereof is death now that those words from Jesus that instruction to his disciples are terrifying words the very thing that we think we want should be the last thing we want that is to be left alone I, I can remember I can remember thinking that way because of because of things that um, things that I was involved in things that I was doing and when conviction would come I would think to myself you know if I could just if I could just do this without... The conviction without being troubled about it, however I worded it at the time. But do it. Without my conscience troubling me. Now, all of that is, at least in my estimation, is very sobering and. um, As I said earlier, heavy. Let me close with this. We're not a different class of people. What I mean by that is this. God God didn't look at us and say, well, you know, um, the Pharisees, like, like he's dealing with here, other people that rejected him, other people of whom he may have said, you know, leave them alone. They're going to be rooted up. They're going to be destroyed. Blind leaves the blind. They fall into the ditch. He didn't look at them and then look at us and see a different class of people and say, "What? Now, these people over here are worth saving. These people over here are not like them, and I can work with them. I can do something with them. They're giving me something to work with. The difference between them and us, and I just mean... Those who will ultimately perish. And I don't know if all these people did. I'm not necessarily assuming that. I think some of them did. Some of them, like Nicodemus, it seems like to me we have evidence in Scripture that he he was saved. He was a Pharisee, but he was was saved. And uh, the Jews, for the most part, um, just about all of them rejected Christ when it came down to it. They were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But then you... Get over to the book of Acts and thousands of them are being saved. But the ones who were lost, the ones who will ultimately perish. In essence, you know, just in and of myself. I'm no different than them. We're no different than them. What makes the difference between them and us. Is simply grace. You can think about any just as examples, any one of the apostles here that Jesus is talking to at this point? Why didn't he leave them alone? Think about the Apostle Paul, we're told in Acts, his his name at the time was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he was wreaking havoc. In the church. When the first martyr went down, Stephen, Stephen preached his one and only sermon, so far as we know, and was stoned to death. Well, that gives preachers something to think about, you know, when we get uptight about criticism. (laughs) First sermon, stoned to death. Doesn't leave much room for any of the rest of us to complain. When Stephen was stoned to death, Saul stood by holding the clothes. He was was a young man at the time, but he was consenting to the death of Stephen. And he stood by and held the clothes of the people who murdered Stephen. And then later, he's hauling people off to prison and locking them up simply for believing on Christ. And he's about this business when he's confronted by Jesus on The Damascus Road. Now there's the difference. Here he says, Leave them alone. There, in the case with the Apostle Paul, there's a grace invasion. And that's true of every believer. In other words, God didn't save us because we were better. He didn't save us because we're worth more. He didn't save us because he saw something in us that merited his favor. It was simply grace. And so the proclamation comes forth instead of leave them alone. It is he is a chosen vessel unto me or she is a chosen vessel unto me. And then we have words like that of Jesus in Luke 12:32. Be of good cheer. Don't fear. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <laughs> That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Every person that's saved is saved by grace. In spite of my thinking, I'd like to be left alone, God didn't leave me alone. And I am so thankful for that today. All just out of His grace. What I deserve is what we just read about and talked about here. Matthew 15 and Romans 1. And in truth, that's what we all deserve. Thank God for grace invasions, right, where he just breaks in and makes Himself known to you, changes your heart, saves your soul. The wind blows where it wills, Jesus said to Nicodemus. God is sovereign. You don't know where the wind comes from, where it's going. Jesus. You hear the sound thereof. You you see the effects. God is sovereign. Thank God for His grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You, Lord, for invading our lives with Your grace. Giving us uh, the knowledge of Christ. Not just to know about Him or who He is and what He's done, but to know Him. To know You, Lord. And not because we earned it, deserve it, but just because it pleased You. Lord, give us wisdom to not take Your grace for granted. May we live out our days here, whether they're few in number or great in number, may we live out our days here in Thankfulness to You. With eternity in view. Seeking to honor You in all that we do. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana.